and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello and welcome to The Schism. Today I'm joined once again by my co-host Adam. Hello everyone. And in today's episode we're looking at the coronation of King Charles III, as well as delving into the murky background of the royals and Charles himself. Questioning, in this day and age, do we really need a monarchy? The short answer to that being no. Nah, not really. (laughs) Nah. Because it's pretty mental, really. I mean, there's a meme that we put up on the Schism Instagram that just says, Royalty, a strange faith-based superstition that one has the birthright to rule over nations of people, own all the land they dwell upon, and steal their earnings under the guise of taxation. And that's pretty much what it is. I mean, that's nailed to the hammer. (laughs) That's it. That's what royalty is. And people like the royals, and they, in this country, like, on the whole, worship them, think they're great. And people were definitely out in full force for the coronation. But that's not how everyone felt. No. We have a few people we'd like to call anti-royalists. Everything bad, isn't it, with the word anti? He's an anti-royalist. Yeah, anti-monarchy. But, you know, not everyone feels the same when you truly know what the family does. I know the old argument for old Blighty was the, you know, the money they bring in through tourism and everything. You know, we can just push that aside for a start. To dwell on that point a little bit, yeah, they do bring in money. Because that's like the first thing that people always argue in favour of them. Well, they bring in so much tourism, you know, they pay for themselves and then some. But that's not giving England much credit, is it? Like, what, the only reason that people come here on holiday is because <laughs> of the royal family? Well, you, That's it, that's all we've got to offer. Well, we have actually got the Peak District, we've got the Lake District, if they're... Anyone's been down to the New Forest. <laughs> no, but there, yeah, there's some beautiful places in England, Scotland and Ireland. And people would still come here. Like, people still go to France and Paris yeah. to visit the Louvre or whatever. They don't, it doesn't matter that they don't have a royal family now. Yeah, people but, still visit their country. Well, that's because right? they cut all their royals' heads off years ago. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe we should uh, take a leaf from their book. But yeah. imagine if they opened up. Buckingham Palace and you could walk through it all and they had like you know everything out on display not not everything (laughs) (laughs) that like sounds like the Queen's there like and here she is lying in wait everything out on display you could just just imagine the bedside table has still got the 15 inch pink royal dildo royal dildo encrusted with jewels and diamonds don't touch it it is sharp and it hasn't been washed for a while no, but seriously though, like if they opened up the whole of Buckingham Palace and you could just walk through, like imagine if someone, oh, you can go into the Queen's bedroom, you go into the bathroom, whatever, like, I don't know, someone's bathroom that's bigger than this. <laughs> so some people's houses in London are probably smaller. No, but like people would, people would love that. People love being nosy. I feel like you get more tourism just if you opened up not just the palace, but like the royals own so much land. I think what you could you know, well, you could open up all their land and grounds and or do something with it. Oh, well, like, yeah. I mean, all the grounds they have up at Balmoral and the land they own in Scotland. It wouldn't be a bad thing if they were all gone because then they wouldn't get to say that you can't come onto our land because we own it. But I think people would be just as interested in coming to see all that history. Absolutely. 
and just as interested in coming to the UK because that's not all we've got to offer. Well, hey, we've got one of the seven wonders of the world. Eight now, is it? Eight wonders of the world? Seven? I'm not sure how many they are. I'll put myself on the list. That makes it nine <laughs> wonders of the world. But we've got Stonehenge. I mean, you know. Yeah, you can't get too close to Stonehenge anymore, but still. Yeah, worth a look. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into the coronation itself, just kind of wanted to go into the history of Charles, who we have covered already in a previous episode quite extensively called... The Queen is Dead, for those that haven't heard it already. Yeah, where we talk about Charles's relationship with prolific paedophile Jimmy Savile. And touched mainly on... Touched. Oh, touched, careful. Careful when you're talking about Jimmy. Um, Obviously touched on Diana's uh, demise. So for anyone who's probably heard that episode, we're not going to... Revisit old stuff. But here in Britain, to understand things, especially when it comes to the line of succession and who succeeds to the throne, Game of Thrones. Da 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 da. No, sorry, people. It's not Game of Thrones episode starting. It is actually how Charles came to be where he is today. Because you have to know the history of the rules and you actually have to know that he probably, possibly, in another lifetime, might not have been king. And this isn't back to the thing we said in the previous episode about the royal family breaking off its lineage by a bastard child way back when. And this all started when a certain man by the name of Edward VIII, which was King George's brother, he abdicated the throne to get married to an American woman. And of course, that then left George to then to succeed the throne. And at the time, George's eldest daughter was Elizabeth. So just a little bit of a lineage there to see how Charles managed to get in and how... Queen Elizabeth. Get in there. Well, they also both got in. I mean, had Edward not married the American, it would have never gone down down through George. In fact, Edward and George had a younger brother, the Duke of Kent, but he was actually killed in World War II. I'd known very little about him, so sorry, Duke of Kent. That's all you get. What a royal Kent. But (laughs) the point is, it possibly might have never gone to Charles had Edward VIII not abdicated to his younger brother, George. Now, George obviously died in 1952. Liz... We know, I like to call her Liz. <laughs> One first name basis, me and old Elizabeth, you know. You know, he's Lizzie. Lizzie, you know, thin Lizzie. She was looking a bit thin towards the end, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you only just said that. <laughs> Distasteful. Distasteful. But she was the longest reigning monarch, of course, everyone knows that in, in Britain. She's sat on the throne for nearly 60 years, quite some time for a member of the monarchy. Bear in mind, some of them only lived up to 10 years. The shortest reign was probably by Edward VIII, who left the throne. He was actually sat on the throne for less than a year. <laughs> less than a year? I know. That's a shame, really. Could you imagine when he, like, gave up the throne for George? George must have been like, I can't wait to sit on that thing. And Edward would just be like, years up. It's not even a year. <laughs> yeah. My turn. <laughs> Thanks for keeping it warm for me. Mm. That's all he did. Yeah. Warm up the throne a little bit. <laughs> Keep my buttocks nice and heated. But Thank you for your service. <laughs> it came across Charles eventually. After, obviously, the Queen Elizabeth got in uh, to power, it was going to follow down her line of lineage and succession, and obviously Charles being the oldest of her children. Okay, so Charles already knew when his mum had her coronation, and he was only about five years old, Reese. Charles knew one day he'd probably be king. Five years old, you know, could you imagine? 
You know, your grandfather's just died, your mum's had this big hoo-ha with hoo-ha <laughs> Westminster. There's pictures of a young Charles, yeah. But even back then they still got photographs and he looks bored as shit. Like literally bored as shit to be at his mum's coronation. Your mum's just being crowned queen and he's just like, Well, I'll be at home playing polo. <laughs> so he's always had a a real attitude. He always had they, smugness, well, arrogance to they, him, even from like young age. They always said he was a bit soft, but I never saw that. I always thought he came across a bit cold. Like he claims he was a comedian, but he's nowhere near got the bounce on us. <laughs> <laughs> no, he seems like a like as dry as a cracker. This guy to me, comedian. You, not, Imagine him in stand up. <laughs> like, if he was like observational comedy, no one would be able to relate. You know when one of your servants, uh, everyone's like, what the f-? You know, they drop something and you get a look up her skirt and you see her old nuni and you think to yourself, what, what a moment. Did that ever happen to you? No? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know one. Uh, there was an Englishman, an Irishman. Oh, fuck off, Charles. <laughs> he's probably worse than Joe Rogan. God, he's probably like thinks of himself as being a real comedian. He, he probably thinks of himself as being really charming because every person he meets is just up his ass. Like if they're a celebrity or something, they're just like, oh, Prince Charles. And he's like, oh, charm the pants off her. Well, it's funny you should say that actually, dude, because when he was growing up, and we've mentioned Lord Mountbatten before. Mm, um, covered him in the true. Queen is Dead episode. Indeed. Now, when he was actually growing up, he was very fond of uh, Uncle Dickie. As he was affectionately known as. Uncle Dickie. I know. Says it all. Says it all. But one thing he told Charles to do, because there were a lot of love interests in a young Charles's life, you have to understand, because he would eventually one day be king. I mean, the no one... Man about town. Exactly. No one would know how long old Queen Liz would sit on the throne, but there was a fair assumption that Charles would one day be king. So you would definitely say, bearing in mind he had two younger brothers, you know, you had uh, Andrew... Randy, Andy, and... <laughs> we get to Andrew later. And his ever so slightly wayward, stoned little brother, Edward, who's such a quiet and amicable little man. He could almost be, from a nursery rhyme, their youngest brother. Never quite know if he really exists. But, you know, he... Charles wasn't short of female admirers, and actually it was Lord Mountbatten that told him to sow his royal oats in as many places as he could... It's coming from a man who apparently was driven around London approaching young men for sex. Mm. Mm. Sowing his royal oats. Well, I guarantee there's some fucking trees hanging out of some arsehole somewhere. <laughs> so he was in not short demand of women that want to be around him. You know, Charles was a very strange young child because you have to remember when his mum came into power, dude, there was a lot expected of her and, and the Duke, the old Duke Philip. And she obviously had a young family at the time. So all of a sudden, Charles was very used to having his mum around, his father around, and then they become quite distant. And apparently, Charles said in his younger life, this affected him dramatically, made him a little bit withdrawn. Apparently, this is where he gets his fascination for nature from. Apparently, he shares that with the Queen's late mother, the Queen Mother. She was also very invested in the environment. But it was really, as Charles was getting older, they had to like, look at someone to get Charles in with. Because in Britain, it's quite important to the royal family, for the people that are listening, this whole idea of succession. It's like that TV programme that's on at the moment. The royals take this very serious, and they wouldn't want to split money, or blood, for that matter of fact, 
with people that they didn't believe belonged in the royal establishment. That all about the bloodlines. All about the bloodlines. Now, we'll get straight in. Camilla. She was probably should have been the one who was going to marry Charles. You know, they, they had a very similar start to their relationship as actually the Queen and the Duke did before. For anyone that didn't know this, when Queen Elizabeth was only 13 years old, mm-hmm. um, the Duke, Philip, was actually visited by her and her sister and the royals, and he sort of become a sort of social officer to show her around. Mm-hmm. Not a protection officer. Possible suitor. Possible suitor, yes. When I mean, she was 13. 13, and Philip would have been probably 19 or 20 at the time. So, interesting there, I, I didn't know that. So, Charles was probably not too dissimilar when it got to the time when he needed a suitor. Now, Camilla looked the very obvious one. They had all their secret arrangements, and they flirted in and out of the press for a long time, and they got introduced from the Chilean ambassador's daughter. Uh, he actually introduced them. She was known by Camilla Stan then because she actually wasn't married. Parker Bowles was a married Stan. Stan. It was a married name was Parker Bowles. Now Camilla like, like a stand-in. Yeah, like a stand-in. Stand-in for the poor future Diana, that's for sure. But you know, they should have got together. I'm not gonna go into the salaciousness of the affair. You can watch that on Netflix right now if you want. <laughs> Close to the details. Yeah, well, they do go into that. In the crown. I mean, they've tried to sort of reframe it in a sense like, and we're going to this later, they had in the press about Camilla and Charles being like the greatest love story, but they've, they've tried to reframe it rather than a salacious affair as, oh, well, he was always in love with her and, you know, they should have been together, but they weren't. And it's like, okay, but let's not. That, that doesn't mm. escape the fact that, because she was married too. Yes. So when they were having this, Affair. affair it wasn't just charles cheating on diana she was cheating on her well it was a very half as well it was a very awkward relationship because if you think about it I and mean, this is the strangest part i find with charles's history everyone okay this could be modern day relationships as we see them but the only difference is titles and heirs aren't involved okay so they take it a little bit serious more seriously now camilla couldn't actually marry charles because she was promised to another which was Major Andrew Parker You see Bowles. how they operate. Yeah. 13-year-old child brides-to-be, Be, you know, you know, getting promised, promised to this family. Almost reminds me of like when they've got like a prize animal. That, that's, that, that's sort of how they're treating their like offspring. Kind of reminds me of modern-day Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, Game of Thrones, yeah. You know, Stark marrying his daughter off to secure family allegiances. I mean... The You're friend- like Arabs that are like, I, I trade you three camels. For, for <laughs> one of your pigs. I mean, your daughter's... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the rules will choose to be very careful when they bring someone into the family. They want them to be of value. We could see that happened with Kate and Meghan Markle. Both princes, completely different women. One would serve the establishment, one wouldn't. So we've seen that before. The difference was Camilla had actually been around these social circles of aristocracy for quite some time. And there's actually a reason for that, dude. And I, and I found this out. Go on. Now... Camilla's great-grandmother was named, a woman named Alice Keppel. She was the mistress of King Edward VII, which is pretty wild. And it wasn't exactly a well-hidden secret either that Edward VII had this mistress called Alice Keppel. And that was actually Parker Bowles' great-grandmother. Parker Bowles? Uh, well, Camilla's. Camilla Parker Bowles' great-grandmother. So already, 
That's how she is in the circle, because she's not like her family have any lands or titles themselves. But why was she, or she wasn't a business owner like Murdoch or something, you know, people generally have to be quite powerful. But Camilla's in to the family was probably through her great-grandmother sleeping with the king. king and do you think that is one of the reasons that it's like she's not from good enough stock? Yes. The bloodline's not, not strong enough not because st- of that. Because of, because of that, I think, yeah. But not only that, Camilla was also promised to another, like we said before. Andrew was away on his military service, Andrew Parker Bowles. Uh, when he come back, they were meant to be married. But Charles and Camilla kept their relationship still. Even right up to the point when he finished, they were still uh, having a rumble in the haystack. Let's put it that way. So at this point... Charles, we've always seen in the old newspapers, he always looked a bit frowny, the glum king. It was hard to get a rise out of the man. I mean, Viagra wouldn't even work. But at the same time, you know, Diana came along. Now, the thing with Diana was, Diana was a very different sort of girl. Charles was never going to have the relationship with Camilla with Diana. There were two massive things that were in the way. For starters, the backgrounds. Even though Diana's family owned like a big house in the country, she was actually more of a city girl and used to sort of, I don't know, I can imagine them being like the opposite way around to Pet Shop Boys. It's like East End Girl and West End Boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So their relationship was never going to work. We're not, I'm not going to spend it forever or even a moment going into the reasons. She takes the spotlight off Charles. Well, she did. And he would hate that. Well, also, what you have to remember is she was a young princess. She, they, she was 20 years old. Yeah, he just saw her, I think, as being juvenile and yeah. silly. And, silly. You know, he, he had... Well, he had pressing engagements to do, like make royal heirs. I mean, he was 30, over 30, 34, and she was something like 21 by the time they finally got married. I know. It's not the worst arrangement, is it? A 21-year-old Diana. Ooh, sorry to be... <laughs> but, yeah. I know. I mean, he's a character... I'm in an arranged marriage with who? This bombshell. She's charming. Everyone loves her. Yeah. I mean, but I can't get it up because I love this old fucking witch, Camilla. It's like, fucking hell, mate, you're punching, bruv. <laughs> and not be funny, Diana or Camilla. You could just, like, get on with it and just think, well, you know, it's not the worst job in the world <laughs> to screw a 21-year-old Diana. Oh, to make a couple of children. Prime of her life. <sighs> I bet she just laid there whilst he was like, ooh, back and forth. Yeah. Like, like he's going down with a ship. <laughs> I can imagine it would just be like that. Now, Charles had his lovely young bride. Diana was doing things like, you know, AIDS workout in Africa, clearing the landmines. It's clear the British public probably helped through the media. We adored Diana. Everyone thought, you know, she was God's, yeah. God's given gift. You but, could tell that she was kind. She was a good person. She had a lot of heart yeah. and... That was just so unusual to see in the royals who are a cold bunch good, of people. Good at sucking heart out of things. Yeah. And like she she was just a breath of fresh air in that respect. And then I think everyone started to sympathise with her even more because they could tell that she, was, she wasn't accepted. Mm. And she was in a loveless relationship with Charles. I mean, everyone knew about the Camilla thing. Yeah. I mean, even in the public, people were like, oh, he's got eyes for Camilla. Like, 
it was just common knowledge. It wasn't just something that was within the royal family like they knew about this. It's like even the even the public knew about yeah. it. It was just outrageous. It often made me wonder, okay, you said it before about them both being married. Bear in mind, William was born in 82. Harry was born in 84. The affair was rekindled in 86. In 86, that's only five years after they were married. Charles actually met Camilla, I think, in 77 first. So he'd had four years following Camilla around the world until he went off and did his service and until she got married and all suddenly come home and they're like, hey, hey, we've got this little minx for you. I don't want her. I want my Camilla. I can even imagine them saying like, oh, look, keep it under your hat and you can keep fucking having it off of her if you want. And he'd be like, not the same. Oh, you can have Diana and a mistress. But as long as the projection is right, we still get to see them get married and whatnot. The biggest shame, obviously, was losing Diana. Was obviously, we, we all loved her, we all missed her. But people quickly, you know, forgot about Charles and that whole thing. I mean, you said it. The people were only calling him cold, callous. We talked on the previous episode about the Queen and not and allowing the formal royal inquiry into Diana's death. It was quite obvious that Charles is still very much part of the establishment. No matter how much anyone would try to humanise him and try to make him seem like, oh, he's a good father to his sons, oh, he tried to do the best by Diana and everything. You know, one... I mean, for all we know, he, he orchestrated that happening, or at least gave some sort of nod of approval in the way of it happening. Because, really, Cause... Diana was got out of the way... She stopped bringing shame on the family's Family, name. Yeah. And then now, look at the position Charles is in now. He's king. He's got to be with the woman that he always wanted to be. I mean, yeah. it certainly worked out for him. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it was 2005. Well, I'm not chopping off her head. Yeah. I mean, just a car crash. <laughs> I know, but it took us quite some time, about 10 years before he could... I think he got married to Camilla in 2007. So... It took a while for the public's opinion to kind of warm around to Charles again, right? You know, it took us a while. Cause and it... Camilla as well, because she was hated oh, nationally. Yeah. Everyone saw her as like the home wrecker, and yeah. everyone loved Diana so much. You know, she was the the kind of mistress or whatever, the, the side chick. <laughs> What's funny is I saw a meme, actually, and it was a picture of Camilla wearing the crown and all the get-ups, and it was like, to all you side chicks out there, <laughs> believe, there's always hope. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. But you saw that post recently of about it being the greatest love story ever. I think it yeah. came up on the newspapers. And you have a telegraph. You know, what you have to understand is all the things that Charles had done in his life in terms of the affair, married a woman, brought her into the royal household who didn't really want to be there, didn't fit in there, and ultimately probably lost her life because she got involved with them. I mean, the greatest conspiracy surrounding Diana's death is a lot of people. Not saying us. You're free to make your own opinion and choice here. But a lot of people think because Diana was going to possibly marry Dodie Alfired and obviously with Dodie being a Muslim, that would bring shame on the royals with a former member of the royal family marrying a Muslim. Yeah, she knew too much as well, I think. And, and they knew she was just going to be a lot of trouble for them yeah. because she wouldn't keep her mouth shut and she was becoming a real problem. She got a 20 million euro settlement from the third divorce of Charles in 1995. And still couldn't keep her mouth shut. <laughs> we still had to offer. Blessed Diana, rest in peace. But yeah, I mean, we do go into 
detail on the so the Queen is Dead episode in terms of so, the uh, car crash and stuff. Yeah, so that leaves you just with Cam- with Camilla now, and that just brings us right up to date. You know, Charles now effectively he had his family with the woman that he was meant to have, and that she's no longer in the picture. He's now back with the woman of his I don't his say, dreams, nightmares. <laughs> when he said, like, you heard this thing about him saying that he wanted to be her tampon. Yeah. Jesus Christ, they found these, like, what are they, love letters or intercepted emails, love letters? Yeah. <laughs> written in blood on the wall. I mean, I don't know <laughs> the details, but I know the sort of things that he was saying. It was just like, Jesus Christ. Well, apparently, apparently this is the thing. I'm not much of a poet, <laughs> but I want to be your tampon. Well, I'd... Inside you. <laughs> I don't know what rhymes with Rottweiler, because apparently that's what they used to call Camilla around the palace, the Rottweiler. Got a face like a dog. Got a face like a dog chewing a bee. <laughs> but I did see written in the Telegraph, like, Charles and Camilla is the greatest love story of all time. The greatest love story of all time. They, they even compared them to Romeo and Juliet. I was thinking, okay, like, don't remember Romeo offing his current squeeze in a car accident to get with Juliet? Yeah. I mean, tragedy followed them around, admittedly, but... Unless okay. the drinking of the poison was the carbon monoxide poison Diana had, then yeah, okay, maybe it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll try and see it now. But yeah, it goes on to say, Our new king and queen have weathered more storms than most, but their unique bond has prepared them for their next endeavour. And it's like, Unique okay. bond? Well, that bond's like, never been separated. I mean, this is the thing. They've been, li- they've been lying to themselves, been lying to everyone yeah, right. for years. It's not like they've, they've been apart. You know what I mean? They've, they've just carried on their extra marital affairs. I mean, the, the whole Diana tragedy aside, it's like, how is that the greatest love story of all time? I mean, and the tampon thing, I mean, yeah. it's not exactly Shakespeare, Charles. No, that's pretty grim, if anything. <laughs> I mean, come on, you've got to write a better poem than that, sir. To my dear wife, I want you in my life. You are my queen, my jelly bean. <laughs> But just to focus on the royals themselves a little bit and how much they cost and all the rest of it, because it's pretty outrageous. Like, here's some stats from the royal family. They legally own 6.6 billion acres of land across the world. That is a sixth of the Earth's surface. Wow. That's incredible. Outrageous. So I don't even own a sixth of my local gardens. Well, what does anyone really own? You know what I mean? Because... Most people that think that they own a house or something, it's like, well... We don't really either. They don't own it like the, the royals own land. Well, not with lease, leasehold and freehold, you don't. I mean, you might own your house, but you don't own the land it's built on. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. And they own a sixth of the Earth's surface. I mean, that's insane. The British monarchs are worth almost £28 billion. The royal family costs UK taxpayers about... Three hundred million pounds every year. I mean, imagine if how many that house- money went elsewhere. What if you broke all those households up? You know, sixty million people in this UK, or sixty-five million people, and then break that up into households, not individuals, but break those up into households. I'm sure those people could do with that money after every week. Three hundred million. And the thing is, when it says royal family as well, you can imagine it's not just the ones you know. You know what I mean? Like, the royal family's extensive, and all these people are living off your taxpayers' money, not just the fucking main characters of the sitcom. You know what I mean? It's it's far more reaching than that, and they're all getting money for nothing. It's like Charles... Like, it cracks me up the way Charles is 
putting himself out there as someone that cares about the environment because not only has he got this outrageous carbon footprint, like he's flying private jets around. He's not flying them. He's not flying them, no. <laughs> but he's got all the medals, but he can't He can't fly a plane or yeah. actually do anything he's got about technical. As, he's got about as much flying skill as the guys that flew <laughs> those planes into the Twin Towers. If he's not in a private jet, he's like going about on a yacht. Well, that figure I found out, 124 people on his staff, wherever he goes. 124 people. 124 people. That's a fucking entourage. I mean, he puts those fucking film stars to shame. Yeah, me and my few buddies, yeah, I take them all out. Imagine Charles being like, yes, me and my hundred plus friends. When I say friends, I mean subjects. Servants. Slaves. I'm not allowed to call them that anymore, mummy says, but they secretly still do. Yeah, and even somewhere like Buckingham Palace. I mean, imagine the electricity bill, every light on in the house. I mean, <laughs> mental. It's crazy. And then he's going to front it like, I care about the environment. Like, it's such a joke. So, all right, we'll start, start riding a bike everywhere or taking the bus. I can't. I'm too famous. Okay, well, how about have 123 yeah. servants rather than 124? Or, I don't know, a couple. A couple. How many do you need? Well, Charles obviously is royalty, so he's going to be quite extravagant. I mean, you've probably seen... Some of the things that, like, he has a person that is there just to put toothpaste on his toothbrush. Jesus Like Christ. a single person, like, da, 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 just gets down from their royal quarters, goes up to Charles's room, while there's 15 other people doing shit. You just, like, off to the bathroom, uncap the toothpaste, and you're like, on his toothbrush, and you place it back down, and you sit and wait. Hope he likes it tonight. I'm a bit over that inch long he likes. I hope he won't notice. Bugger, he's brought the ruler into the bathroom. Oh, he's just measuring his penis. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, he wants me to do it. Charles, I like, insist that it comes out and it's like a Colgate advert. Like, the stripe's perfect. Yeah. And it's like a guy, like, before this I was putting icing on cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to do it perfectly. And he's like, oh, I hope he likes it. Get him ready to come out. Hugh, the red is melting into the blue again. Oh, God damn it. Bend over. <laughs> Maybe that's where this tampon thing comes in with Camilla. Like, I want to be your tampon boy. Like, she she has a, a similar array of, like, slaves. Like, one guy just to, like, fit her tampon in. Ooh. I wish I could swap jobs and he be king and I be your tampon boy. <laughs> oh, Charles. Oh, Charles. Really is the greatest love story ever told. Well, you know what? On that note, do you know what their pet nicknames were for each other when they were younger? Tampon she, and Comdom. <laughs> she was called Gladys and he was called Fred. They're hardly the most romantic sexual names, are they? They're probably just like, imagine if we were just normies. That's their fantasy. <laughs> yeah. And we could just run away together somewhere like, I don't know, the Lake District. <laughs> or Bradford or somewhere. <laughs> Or, or or Newcastle. Oh, Charles, stop it. How about somewhere really run down? Like, I don't know. Bogdan Regis? <laughs> Take me there. Yeah, so Charles is a big climate activist. I mean, that kind of makes him sound like he's out with a banner. <laughs> Didn't see him at the marches. <laughs> no, but he's like, you know, all about the climate, apparently. But he's fully bought and paid for by the World Economic Forum. And really what it's all about is pushing their 
sustainable development goals. Yeah. You know, it's this collection of 17 global goals that basically outline their whole agenda. If you want to look it up, I mean, they call it their blueprint for the future, and that's basically what it is. I mean, we do another whole episode on this stuff, but it's literally the whole new world agenda just spelled out for you. Yeah, and a lovely little document. Yeah, and they want to achieve all these things by 2030, and loads of them are to do with the environment, and of course, everything from carbon tax. Yeah, lowering of emission levels, um, even the outlawing of carbon itself. Yeah, and God knows what else. 15-minute cities, future climate lockdowns, everything going electric, smart meters, smart smart everything. You know, it all all feeds into that. It's not just about carbon taxes. There's a lot they can get out of climate change. It's almost the new terrorism. Yeah. That should be its strap line. Climate change, the new terrorism. It's like the thing that they're going to be... Like scaring everyone with and bringing in all these crazy regulations and laws to protect us from. And the new invisible threat. If you love terrorism, you love climate change. Well... It's scarier than global warming. He's been in this position for a long time. Put it this way. Do you think the World Economic Forum and people over the WHO, do you think they would take a chance in not using Charles. Bearing in mind they've known oh. since 1952 that oh, yeah. one day he was going to be king. And he is, he's, he's like the woke king of the new world order. That's that's what I see him as. This this coronation, I was watching it more, I mean we get onto the coronation after this, but I saw it as almost a giant ritual. Like the crowning of, of this guy that is now going to bring in this new world, or help bring in this new world order and this WEF agenda that I was just talking about, which is really introducing this China model of control across the whole of the Western world and imprisoning the world's population before killing a lot of us off. We kind of talked about this earlier. We said how this has been in plan or in play for many years now. Just like how Charles was selected at a young age before he'd even reproduced himself, that he was going to be taking on this ambassadorial role for like a climate change or, you know, activist. Climate guru. Guru, let's call him that. (laughs) I quite like that, climate guru, that's good. So, you know, these sort of plans have been set in play for a long time. Now, we talked about this earlier. If you think about the coronation itself, the king, the very word, we know coronation comes from the Latin word corona, which of course means crown. If you've seen on the bottle of a corona... The symbol is a bottle cap, it's a crown. Oh, even on the beer. The beer. Yeah, now, right. who's to say all this just hasn't been the plan right from the beginning? Ever since they set the pandemic off, Charles must have been, might have been aware that his mum was going to die during this period because you're going to be the one bringing in the Great Reset as you coined it yourself. He did say those words. Kind of crazy that COVID coronavirus, corona, crown, coronation, Latin, coronation, it's all there. All there. Yeah, and people might say, like, that's you're clutching at straws, that's very sort of conspiratorial, just joining dots that aren't there, but it's kind of hard not to see all them links. And also, like, we spoke in the Queen is Dead episode, again, about the the Queen, you know, this, like, ritual that she did, where she put the world in the crown, Mm. In the corona, yeah. and then what come out of it? This three-stranded DNA light stream. 
Which has never been seen before. Three stranded, like an upgrade of DNA that she, and we like said then, oh, the crown, the corona, mm. like we were we were making the connections then. This is all the sort of ritualistic stuff that, that they do and the coronation itself was full of this kind of stuff. But one of the things that we also spoke about was this um, pledge of allegiance that they were making everyone do or trying to get everyone to do. Yeah. Join in the chant for Charles. Yeah. It was that sort of... Well, didn't expect you to get down on one knee. I mean, thank God, because I was wearing shorts. Both knees. I was wearing shorts that day. <laughs> I got knobby knees. Was the Dr. Dre lyric, you better bow down on both knees. Please. Bitch, please. <laughs> Bitch, please. Yeah, no, it's it's stupid. I saw it all over the radio, dude. I saw it all over the TV, and I thought, bow allegiance. Yeah, that'll come round like a bad smell. I'll I'll promise to do anything you tell me to do. How about kill your wife off? But yeah, it was like front of all the newspapers. Like everyone urged to cry, "May the king live forever, <laughs> forever, forever." Well, he's gonna die one forever, day. Forever? I mean, I'm sorry, he's 73 years old. I mean, Prince Charles is the oldest monarch to ever be crowned. It's like, what, like a vampire? <laughs> well, I am related to Vlad the Impaler, which <laughs> he says proudly. Says proudly, and of course we know Bram Stoker got the story for Dracula from <laughs> Vlad the Impaler. But yeah, like, everyone's got to cry that all together. Like, they were even talking about, oh, getting the kids to do it in the school, like... And the Archbishop, who we spoke about last episode. He's a bishop. Bishop Asher. We spoke about that in the last episode as well. We did. (laughs) But yeah, he was even getting on board saying like, yeah, everyone needs to, everyone needs to do this chant. And now with modern technology, you know, we can do it all at once at the same time. But we were sort of saying like, it's some kind of like, mad like spell casting going on like we want everyone to cry they said urge to cry may the king live forever cry may the king live forever but but the thing is they did this for a reason what people don't realize is that whole chanting isn't done just as a laugh like a fucking ice bucket challenge or something daft like that it's actually done for a reason if everyone says that at the same time in the entire world or across the nation. Across the yeah. nation. Vocal sounds change the, the human frequency on this planet. If everyone, at any one moment, all says something at the same time... Mm. With a certain intention. Tension, well. yes. Yeah. Like you said, casting a spell. Yeah. This yeah. was for a purpose, because if anyone actually watched the coronation, they had the big gold crown down at the Strand. Now... There's two things that are symbolic here. Is firstly the gold crown, or the corona, first of all, the coronation, and it's made of gold. Well, we know we know gold's an excellent conductor for electrical current. And where was this giant crown? It was down at the Strand. Well, we know the secret ley lines that people might or may not know about, which go through London. The two of the biggest ones actually go directly through the Strand underneath it, and that is where the gold crown was. Now, I think this might not be an intentional drawing of energy, but I believe it was symbolic to the nature of the energy that they would draw from people if they could get them to say the pledge and mm. do I mean, it could literally have been drawing energy as well. I think that's the point. It's like they have all this secret knowledge that most people are like, that just sounds ridiculous. No, but they believe it and no, they, they know how to harness this energy and it's, and it's true. For example, the David Lynch Foundation does these mass meditations and they've started doing them in big cities, right? 
So they will have a mass meditation, say a thousand people in New York City, and they all sit there and they send out you know peaceful vibes with a certain intention, right? Like a peaceful healing intention behind it. Yeah. And when they've looked back at the data, the crime rate in New York, for example, dropped quite significantly during that time, during that day, and during the hours that they were doing it for. And that's just a thousand people, yeah. right? So. There's data, that's what I'm trying to say, there's data to prove that yes, as a collective consciousness, if, we've all, if we're all saying something at the same time, or in that case, they, they weren't even speaking, they were just sitting there in silent reflection, right? But if we all do it collectively, we can basically affect reality Yeah. This, in, in a major way. This is sort of information that's probably been hidden beneath the Vatican for a long time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's their secret knowledge. They know that if they sort of control people's perception of what reality is and the collective consciousness gets on board with that, then they can then go on to shape the reality that they want. Especially if they can get you to do things that you think might just be, say, a little bit of a laugh. Long live the king! Not realising by you and a million other people all doing it at the same time might be manipulating some forces somewhere. And also as well, it's just another thing that we spoke about in the previous episode. You've said the Rage Against the Machine song, they say jump, you say how high. Like What what we've seen is that they can whip people up into a frenzy like they did in the pandemic, using yeah. fear. But then they, the, the pendulum can swing the other way and they can whip everyone up into a frenzy where they're in a coronation frenzy and, oh, let's hang up the bunting and what a great day. Let's go crazy yeah, for the king. and Go get the bloody mince pies and the fucking quiche and I fucking ate quiche. <laughs> yeah. no, but like suddenly they're crazy about Charles and the royals and, oh, like they're fully buying into it and they're pledging their allegiance and they're doing all this stuff that you think, uh-huh. But it's the same media who only 20 years ago were probably t- telling you to hate Charles for the way he tra- treated his wife yeah, and right. having his affair. Yeah, now you feel this way about him. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, all right, yeah. Well, we better do as we're told. We better feel as we're told how I to I love feel. Charles now. <laughs> Press enter. I love Charles. So, yeah, there's a quote that is another post on our social media that says, the only people chanting for the king will be the people that thought that they were saving lives wearing a face nappy. The people that had the, I've just had my convict shot Facebook profile pic. The people that clapped for house arrest at 8pm every Monday like mindless seals. The people standing with Ukraine when they've got no idea what they're actually supporting. And the people that happily accepted government emergency alert messages on their phones because they're still too dumb to recognise that the biggest threat is in fact government itself. Mm. which kind of sums it all up. I mean, you you mentioned the Ice Bucket Challenge earlier, which might seem like a frivolous thing to people, but all these things that were happening on Facebook, you know, it was all just social engineering. What can we get people to do? That was the whole COVID era. What, what freedoms can we take away from people? What can we get people to sacrifice? What can we get people to agree to if we pump them with enough fear? And it's the same with... One minute they're waving a Ukraine flag, next minute they're waving the Union Jack and they're all about the coronation. It's like, sit down, stand up, wave this flag, support this, love this person, hate this person. They're just programming people what to feel and what to think about everything all the time, as long as they're not looking at them, Well, the controllers. You mentioned the emergency alert. I don't think we mentioned it before, but that was Rishi Sunak's father-in-law 
his company. I heard that it's got links to the company and yeah, profiteering so, from it. And this yeah. is maybe your prime minister. Hasn't he also got links to like major digital ID companies and all this stuff? Like again, he's like a bought and paid for WEF puppet that's got all these links to oh surprise surprise all these things that they want to bring in and these are these emergency alerts i mean like what are these alerts for like i know they have them in america for example but yeah. they have like hurricanes and earthquakes and things like this it's like we get the odd like flash flood or something yeah. it's not it's not like we get a lot of these kind of emergencies in the british isles well, i mean i think the main thing i noticed when they sent out that was just to scare people it was just a way of just scaring people. You know, anything oh, could happen. Anything could happen at any one moment. It could be Ukraine. It could be Convid. It could be your mother-in-law who's just watched an episode of Coronation Street and she can't believe that someone's just been killed. <laughs> no, but really, like, it could be Pandemic 2. It could be nuclear war, even. I mean, I heard any, a lot of people anything. like, well, oh, it could be, you know, for if, if, if there was a nuke or something. You're like, fucking hell. Like, know, it just gets people thinking, doesn't it? Like, it could be anything. could be an episode. Could it be on high alert? Could be an episode of 24 and we've got Jack Bauer coming on to save the day. <laughs> well, imagine if they had these emergency alert messages set up during COVID. I mean, you can imagine people like in a supermarket or something, like a new variant's on the block. Everyone's suddenly rushing about. <laughs> Bas- like, baskets hitting the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Toilet paper running low. I mean, that was another like social experiment. Yeah. They, they put out this... All this news in Great Britain, like toilet papers running low on stock, and people just went out and were just buying masses of toilet paper, filling up their whole cars with it. And then the supermarkets were like, you can only get two rolls at a time or whatever. They were rationing the rolls out. It it got absolutely mental. But it's the point how the media still control the swing and control control how you are meant to think and feel about certain things and that could also include the coronation of the king himself because from what we saw the masses as peers put it everyone looked like they're having a jolly old hoo-ha oh Piers morgan was like all for it i mean we mentioned him in the previous episode but he called anyone that wasn't on board pathetic oh our peers <laughs> <laughs> he did bring at one point that I thought was relative is about the people that turned up for the coronation with all the yellow banners uh, not my king uh, I like the guy that had the banner with the burger and I said not my burger king <laughs> well I saw a meme of Harry holding a placard it was like in the same style like the yellow thing instead of not my king it just said not my dad <laughs> so obviously there's the whole rumour of Harry and James Hewitt being yeah. his dad, yeah. One of Diana's love interests that apparently Charles used to tease Harry about. This is like come out in his like book or whatever that his dad used to be like, maybe you're not even mine. Like his dad used to taunt him with it. So twisted. That's what kind of guy this Charles is, you know. Mm, remember people, remember. You're not even mine, you apparently. Little, you little ginger twit. But yeah, the people protesting at the coronation got arrested and it was like, it looked weird. It almost looked staged looking at it. It was like a big white truck with all these Not My King banners. And they actually arrested these people before they'd even really done anything. And even Piers was like, you know, I disagree with people that were against this coronation, but they have freedom of speech and, you know, if they weren't disturbing the peace, maybe they shouldn't have been arrested. Like, even he couldn't have condone that because it was like well hang on a minute 
So you can't even protest anymore. But they actually use the coronation as an excuse to bring in all these anti-protesting laws yeah. right before the coronation. Well, we talked about this. Said it's strange, isn't it? They've been trying to crack down on noise levels. We've already brought this up before in an episode about what it would mean to get rid of protesting. You know, you're right. Yeah, they were trying to pass a load of laws already when all the freedom marches were well, yeah, going well, up and up and up in size. But then look what they've done since. Now there's been these protests from the radical left, like things like Extinction Rebellion. Yeah, when you've got people sort of destroying artwork or stopping traffic jam on a busy road in... By gluing themselves to the bloody pavement. Pavement and all... Or like handcuffing themselves to, I don't know, small business or... Like really co- like causing disturbance to the public. Like stuff that people in the Freedom Marches were never doing. Oh, God, no. And we wouldn't even condone that sort of behaviour. We, In fact, if anyone was with us doing that sort of stuff, we'd be like, you're not here for the same reason we're here. In fact, you should be with us. You shouldn't be acting up and doing your own thing. Yeah. We're a collective here and just as a movement we just wanted as as much of the public on our side as possible it's completely like it was it wasn't discriminating anyone it was like get on board we need as many people as possible to kick back against this it's not let's disturb people's day and lash out against the public but how many of these like whether it's extinction rebellion or antifa or whatever we know all this stuff is funded by People like George Soros. and yeah. These are not like grassroots movements. These no. are like set up and orchestrated and so they can bring in laws like and this. You look at a lot of the people that are in these movements, okay? There was a breakdown. Now, when we were on the Freedom Marches, the inclusivity of all faiths, religions that we saw down there, all ages... Doesn't matter. Didn't like matter. Sexuality, anything. That was the great thing, actually, about going on those. But... Difference is, is now all these protesters, whether it be Extinction Rebellion or whoever, they all seem to be like white middle class university students, brainwashed or even being paid a lot of money to go. I think they even need to get paid to do it. They're just like funded, brainwashed. It's all the same people, isn't it? These radical left, wokeists that are completely under a spell. They don't realise that they're doing, like, the bidding of the, the future New World Order. Like, haha, we're going to get you to do all this stuff so we can then bring in all these anti-protesting laws. And the public will back it because they will hate you and be like, well, they should get locked up if they're, you know, ruining priceless pieces of art and gluing themselves to pavements and disturbing people's day. Like, Because they're going to look at that and think, you could be in that car on your way to work or you could be in an emergency. Yeah. Right? And then suddenly, what? You can't get to where you need to go. You can see the outrage, but they, the, the, the powers that be create the outrage by funding these things or completely orchestrating them. So then they can bring in these laws that they've now brought in and they were exercised at the coronation. They were arresting yes. people before they'd even really even protested. And they were using facial recognition CCTV for the first time as well, or one of the first times. Well, I made it the joke that I'm glad you and me didn't go down there because uh, they would have <laughs> right, pe- yeah. picked us up a few and times. And people were even going past it, you know, swearing at the bloody cameras and whatever else. Like, this was hidden in plain sight and people knew about it. It's not like some conspiracy. They were using this. No, no, no. They were, they were openly using it. So it's just another thing, isn't mm. it, that's, that's being like ushered in. See, that, that Extinction Rebellion lot, if you see one of them activists who's glued himself to a busy road, 
My advice to you is to drive over him and carry on where you're going. But you know that the Extinction Rebellion lot are in with the establishment because we spoke about it before. Stanley Johnson, Boris Johnson's dad, wearing his red overcoat with his little Extinction Rebellion badge with these red, what the hell are they called? Like fucking red walkers, (laughs) white walkers, they look like. I mean, these like mad fucking satanic looking people. Weird, man. Charles has done the same. I mean, Charles has gone on record when he was at the Burkle Grounds interviews with BBC. He said he supported Extinction Rebellion. He didn't say he agreed with their methods in terms of gluing yourself to a motorway. I mean, that's a daft fucking thing to do. But said he shared the frustrations with young people and realised there was almost militant action needed. Okay, well, I thought that was very strong. I thought, okay, militants are not really the way to go about it. You do it as as a collective and a peaceful way, and you don't have to go around destroying things. The whole thing with the marches, we said you fight hate with love. You don't fight hate with hate. And it's the same for the Restinction Rebellion lot. They've all gone about it in, in a completely insane way, which is supported by our current king, who doesn't seem to have a problem with any of them. In fact, Charles had a little story about Extinction Rebellion, you know, one of his many properties, High Grove. I don't even know where the fuck that is, but it sounds, sounds big. Posh. It sounds big. The fact it's got high, high in it. That <laughs> says it all. It's not like a castle in the sky. High Grove. Anyway, some protesters from Extinction Rebellion came down to the grounds. It was actually not far off the driveway, and they put loads of like placards and things down on, on his property, right? Now, there was me thinking there'd be rotten dog turds. There's some really horrible stuff down there waiting for the king. No, apparently lots of letters saying, oh, we commend you on all your predictions you've had towards climate events, your environmental attitude. Basically saying, you're one of us, bunny. Well, yeah. And by the way, you guys are a doomsday cult, so the king of England is effectively in a doomsday cult. Yeah. Well, that's how I'd describe the WEF, for sure. (laughs) But the coronation itself, as you can expect, was like real similar vibes to the passing of Queen Elizabeth. There's like a golden throne being paraded around the streets, like, like waving to the people. They didn't look very happy. I mean, you had Camilla sat next to him in that extravagant carriage and uh, they didn't look very happy. Well, there was a great, like, air shot I saw, and, and someone had put, there's something very poetic about a king in a golden coach being driven over a load of potholes filled with wet sand because no one in this country has any money to fix the roads properly. <laughs> and on this bird's eye shot, you can just see all these yellow squares and rectangles all over the street. Like, it looks a fucking mess. It looks like they got a load of pikeys to do it. Now, now, now. Gypsies, travelling folk... <laughs> Yeah, some of them have got golden carriages as well. It's, it's not real gold. Yeah. And, and if it was real gold, it was probably stolen. Oh, same as the rolls then. <laughs> but yeah, one of the comments under a picture of Charles in the golden cart said, I'll never get over how people who can't afford to pay for their food will applaud a dude in a gold carriage. And it's so true. It's like at a point in the UK where there's more food banks than ever the poverty is like we haven't seen since war times yeah. like Any- unemployment <laughs> through the roof energy bills have trebled yeah, and the cost stuff. of living crisis yeah. is just plunging more and more people into poverty every day the NHS is turning people away 
waiting 12, I mean, 12 hours for an ambulance and stuff like that. There's yeah. more excess deaths now than there was in the height of the pandemic. Heard at the height of the pandemic, it was, I think, 650 a week, and now it's 2,000. No one's talking about it. But yeah, that, that many more people are dying in the UK each week. Oh, and that's not counting COVID as well. So at a time when all of this is going on, the taxpayer has got to foot the bill for somewhere between 100 million and 250 million, which it's estimated that this whole thing will cost. Fucking hell, I could have got it for 15 grand down the local council hall. You know what, Charles and Camilla should have contacted me. I would have done the coronation. Paper view, you know, we'll uh, get the money back. Yeah, you have the coronation, you know, I could get some of them uh, old deck chairs out. I'll, I'll get this gold spray paint and I'll <laughs> dress them all like red and white, make it look throny. Yeah, and they were definitely rubbing it in our faces. I mean, there was this cover on the Daily Mirror, and it's got Charles in all his finery, like the crown, the the scepter, sitting in his golden throne. He's got these, like, huge, bloody cape on. Now, what would you call that? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jon Snow and how the Starks used to have, like, a wolf hide over there. Yeah, right. And it's, like, him there. Doesn't look like Charles, though. Yeah, it looks so airbrushed. They haven't touched up the sausage fingers, though. They still look like a pack of wolves' sausages, but... (laughs) I'm getting hungry just looking at them. (laughs) It says here as well, I love the little, like, bit of text next to it. Majestic. First official portrait of King Charles. Majestic. You know what, I would And there's a little picture of Camilla. I have described a sausage butty as majestic before. (laughs) I will admit, yeah. But what's so funny is below this picture, the huge headline just says, cost of living crisis, bills, agony. And then it's got a photograph of a stressed out guy and his girlfriend looking at a piece of paper, which is obviously a bill like, oh God, how are we going to pay this? Yeah, and then below it it says, two million households are unable to pay their bills at the moment. Struggling families are being ground down by unrelenting high prices. So you've got that below this majestic picture of Charles. And he's like, the penny's still not dropping, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think this is really fair. <laughs> yeah. Where's my golden crown? Like, people have just been brainwashed into thinking this is normal. This is not normal. Not by this day and age, no. No, it's, uh, not, it's not relevant and it's absolutely ridiculous when you think about it, and as we said at the start of this episode, it's not like we need them. We're told, like, oh, we need the monarchy for tourism. We don't. Oh, we need the monarchy because they protect us from, like, the state getting out of control. Well, Charles is fully in bed with the WEF, and Mm. he's going to push forward their sustainable development goals more than anyone. You know, we're going to go head first into this new world order with King Charles at the reins. Yeah, yeah. So we certainly don't need the monarchy for that. Come on as well. I mean, the coronation, I mean, it went on for the the whole weekend. People said, oh, but you had people tuning in and watching it. But any excuse for people to go out and get the British bunting, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, they were getting like the Union Jack bunting, get... Getting their nibbles in. Even my family were like, they had like quiche, they had like mini sausage rolls, like the Union Jack plates. We're all gathered round to watch it. They can just make people like do anything, basically. Now we're all doing this. 
But like you said, it's like any excuse to kind of, you know, crack out the bottle of Prosecco, maybe? <laughs> yeah. I've got some port in the uh, shed. I think I think I might uh, go fetch that. <laughs> and like the thing is, I get that. And it's great that for one day or one weekend, people can, ha- you know, enjoy, get lost in the reverie of something and enjoy a spectacle and, you know, forget their troubles for a little bit. Yeah, and we're ha- not. Have a party. We're not great. Party, we're not party poopers. I mean, no, no. But this isn't about being a party pooper. This is looking at an establishment which is totally out of date, that is parasitic. Mm-hmm. And the fact that one of their own swiftly wanted to get out, especially being teased by his daddy about it, wasn't his father. <laughs> well, yeah, even he's turned his back on the, the yeah. royals. And that tells you something. And that's without going into... You know, the shame of Prince Andrew and his links to Epstein, Charles's links to Jimmy Savile, like we've spoke about yeah. before, like the whole Diana tragedy that happened. This is just their murky recent past. The I mean, only stuff we know about. I mean... <laughs> oh, yeah, plus, yeah, that's the only stuff that's out, out there in the mainstream arena. And that's bad enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's just time for the monarchy to go. And this was kind of the perfect opportunity for that. I feel like the Queen passing should have been an opportunity to reevaluate things and ask the, the questions, do we really need this? Well, I think one thing we found out from the way William will succeed Charles is that we know that there's going to be a lot of people born into the royal family that won't have royal titles anymore. And I know, like, Beatrice's children, Eugene's children, we know a lot of these smaller, less important princes and princesses, the ones that are, like, the seventh heir in line, so, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens to them. No offence. They won't have titles titles anymore. anymore. And Prince William is going to be the one who sets about that because Charles's reign is going to be very short on the throne. I'm not responsible for anything that happens to the king now. Just putting that out there. (laughs) I'm just saying, in his age, he's 73 years old. Come on, he's the oldest monarch to ever have succeeded the throne, ever. And we're talking he's the 40th in a history that goes back to 1066, William the Conqueror. Been 40 monarchs crowned King of England. And he's been the oldest one ever. Think about his mum. She was the longest reign one ever big shoes to fill so are you saying that you feel like the royals in a sense because they're not giving them these titles anymore like they're they're kind of filtering it out anyway yeah absolutely it does feel like that because in this wef future that they have planned that they won't need monarchy no they're just the same way they won't need religion they won't unless it's like a one world one world religion Uh, the same way they won't need multiple different currencies yeah right same way they'll only have one court system that's the world court system it won't be the traditional court of your country or even america when you have state and federal laws you know there's just going to be one when you're living in a full-on dystopian society they can do away with the pageantry and the oh yeah no need for that anymore no the bells and whistles they can just do away with all of that anymore. it's like the curtain just comes back and it's like it was us all along (laughs) We are your nightmare. <laughs> so the coronation itself was six months, six weeks, and six days after Queen Elizabeth's funeral. Six, 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 the number of the beast. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Again, people would be like, well, that's just like pulling numbers together, you know, doesn't mean anything. It's like, well, they're obsessed with numerology. This we know. <laughs> and when we were talking earlier about things like the ley lines and getting everyone to chant all at the same Raising time. Raising the human frequency level. Yeah. Yeah. They, they know that by playing around with numerology in this way, like it's this certain, it's 666, after they're doing all of this on purpose because they basically have this hidden esoteric knowledge about the power of numerology and astrology and ley lines and energy and intention and the human consciousness mm. and all this e- stuff even subjecting your own will onto something and how and how to create the reality that they want which is all they really care about that, that's essentially it. They want to manipulate the public into building their own prison, into actually materialising the reality that these people are getting us to build for yeah. ourselves. Yeah, because they're too fucking lazy to do it themselves. <laughs> it's no coincidence that it was six months, six weeks and six days. You, you know, these people are obsessed with the dark arts. We don't have the answers or the information to what a lot of this stuff means, but we do know that they do it at every given chance they can. Yeah. It's been seen before, Charles making even the pyramid sign when he's been with the leaders of the WEF. Throwing up the the gang sign. Yeah, throwing up the old, uh, the Jay-Z, the Illuminati, the all-seeing eye. No, it's true. They're obsessed of all this numerology. Yeah, and sim- symbology, and like you said, it's no different to them throwing up all these signs and stuff. It ha- it all has meaning to them, and a lot of it has real measurable power to well, them. This or, is the, for them. Well, for them, power that we might not exactly know what it gives them, a lust for blood. <laughs> but at the same time, they view it as very important. So talking about harnessing energy, there was like a huge concert as well, right? As well as the coronation. I didn't watch much of this, but you like I saw did. a bit. Yeah, I did actually. And don't worry, everyone. I didn't do it because I was enjoying the coronation. You were waving the flag. Yes, of course I was. <laughs> With my Ukraine printed face mask uh, strapped firmly around my canister. British for head. Anyway, point being... The concert, yes, what a sham that was. All the regular faces were there. Lionel Richie uh, oh broke it out. He has lost his voice. <laughs> One thing he's not doing anymore is all night long because his voice cannot last all night long. <laughs> I do feel for Lionel. I mean, in some ways, they should have just left him in the cellar with Biden. The dust was settling on him. They should have just left him be. So I felt a bit sorry that they pulled Lionel Richie out to murder all his classics. <laughs> Who in, else is there? In front of the royals. Uh, take that. Oh, God. Today this good. <laughs> <laughs> Not totally out of tune. But I can imagine it's just a load of sirs. All the sirs there. You know, take that. I did notice, mate. Mark Owen. He's sporting the Italian boats. Austin Powers. Yeah. Bonjour, now, boys. Still looking good. <laughs> Yeah, they, oh, they, they were at their uh, usual antics. It's just a load of sirs. It's just a load of like bought and paid for people. It kind of reminds me of like in in the lead up to the when it was Trump versus Hillary. Like Trump, it was just him just giving the speeches and getting people rolled up. But Hillary, she was like pulling out all the stops. Do you remember? Yeah. Like when she had like Jay Z and Beyonce coming out, doing like the speaking for her almost. You're... Yeah, like let's just throw a load of money at it and just mm. get a load of celebrities involved and stuff. That'll rile up the crowds, and it does. But in a real like 
fake, nothing to do with it way. It's kind of just, oh, you know, it's, it's like treating people like such morons, like, just wheel Lionel Richie out. Well, other than, like you said, getting all the sirs to come up and telling them how they'll pledge their allegiance to the king and he's going to lead us in love and light. I mean, when I heard that, the guy that said that was the guy that's the voice of Kermit the Frog. And I noticed how, <laughs> I noticed how the Muppets were like... The Muppets were basically thrown through the whole coronation uh, performance. I, why I Puppets. <laughs> and that's what I thought. Muppets and puppets, yeah. as you all sit at home and watch this. Well, you've already had the Queen with Paddington Bear. I mean, they're just trying to associate them with these like, uh, furry little characters. Like, yeah. uh, they're so furry and friendly. Like, it's, I mean, it's treating people like children. The Royals and the Muppets, you know, <laughs> they've always been together. Thick as thieves. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Not even English, right? Muppets no. is American. American. So the fuck's he got? You know, capture the American audience. You know, I thought that was just fakery, absolute fakery. When I saw it, I thought, oh, this is. It reminds just... me of like during COVID when we've spoke about this in a previous episode when they got the characters of Sesame Street like get your vaccine, Elmo. Yeah. Literally treating people like children, like get a load of fucking puppets involved, and that all that will really you know paint a picture for them. Yeah. That will really hook them in. And at the same time, I mean, everyone in the audience who's waving their little Union Jack flags, and I tell you what, I swear Camilla looked like she'd fallen asleep at one point. <laughs> yeah. Lionel Bloody Richie. Oh, he's absolutely finished, Charles. His voice is done. Can I take a nap? Go on, love. <laughs> Go on, Gladys. <laughs> but yeah, absolute waste of time, and <laughs> the people that chewed in on the Sunday and wasted their time watching the whole parade and the concert afterwards, you could have been doing something better with your afternoon and evening. I mean, there was all kinds of ridiculous stuff during the coronation as well. Like, there was this big chocolate head of Charles, like this sculpture that had been made out of bloody Mars bars and like different different chocolate bars and stuff it's just like what the hell like meaningless do you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. so there's stuff that oh this is they've been doing this for like hundreds of years and all the rest of it but then just like a load of other just weird shit just chucked in like why not we've got hundreds of millions <laughs> <laughs> whilst there's bloody wet bags of sand in in the potholes that his golden carriage is going over. I mean, how can it not leave a bad taste in your mouth? Like, people like Piers Morgan, like, people that aren't on board with this are pathetic. It's like, I'd say pathetic is, well, what was the quote here? Watching a 74-year-old man, baby, get paraded around the streets of London dressed like a fucking Christmas tree, while millions of citizens endure the biggest drop in living standards ever recorded. Put it this way, do you think he worries about a single heating bill uh, you know, a single tax bill. Not with these hot nights with Camilla. Absolutely not underneath the furry rug. No, this man and the establishment that he represents, royalty, they don't coexist on the level that everyone else does now. They're so far removed because they are that rich. And anyone who lives like that, I mean, I know we live in an age where a lot of people like to sort of support billionaires and Forbes magazine, where, which I don't. I mean, I just find the idea of that sort of money gross and yet people still turn up in their droves to support a man like that on a sunday afternoon live out in public i mean how many of those people in the audience had issues with their money wouldn't they like to see the king give something back so before we go i want to send out a big thanks to everyone that's been sending us messages and commenting on the instagram and the pop beam and the rumble and everywhere they can reach us 
yeah, we've had some like encouraging comments. Someone even said they they were glad the banter bus was back in town, which mm, banter brought a bus. smile to my face. Yeah, me too. I'm glad too. Yeah, always grateful, guys. We do it for the love and the love we receive. <laughs> well, it sounds like the Archbishop again. <laughs> oh dear, love thy neighbour. But yeah, no, it is it is great. We we're not short of people sending us messages and stuff, and we are truly grateful to everyone that supports us. Yeah, and and a big thanks to everyone that supported us via buys a coffee yeah. Although, given uh, what they can well, to our calls I will admit there was someone who didn't want to buy us a coffee <laughs> Charles <laughs> but yeah there's there's been some funny comments on the, the rumble one that I sent to you that really made me laugh someone put Andre Agassi and Chris Martin hosting which <laughs> is a it's, description of us two yeah, which is pretty accurate pretty accurate I mean I'd say we're like we're like an ugly version of them two people <laughs> Like, or a haggard version. Yeah, we're like the worn version. <laughs> the bad clones of Andre Agassi and Chris Martin. God's failed prototypes. So, yeah, that was kind of like, you know, a bit of a troll, but I, I was sort of happy with that one. Ah, man, I love that. I mean, that guy walked into your corner shop, thought I was Chris Martin once, didn't he? He actually froze. Oh, yeah, someone out in public was like, whoa. And you just was like, I'm not Chris, Chris Martin. Martin. <laughs> he was like, oh... You but, don't look that much like him. When you turned around and said that, I thought, presumptuous? <laughs> or could you just see the look in his eye? It was like the Coldplay look. Yeah, he was like, he's going to break into yellow soon. And I'm like, I'm not going to sing a Coldplay song. <laughs> so I take that as a compliment. <laughs> to me, you look like Chris Martin if he was in Trainspotting. <laughs> but yeah, a comment that was just downright mean. And I thought, you know what? I'll give a, a shout out to our... Hater. First hater. We have it, to. Yeah. I really felt like this was our, our first, if, if you, which is an achievement. Yes, because if you haven't got your haters, you are doing something wrong. Yeah. Because you can't please everyone, and we here at The Schism will be the first to admit that, because the stuff we talk about isn't for everyone. And he's put, this is all agent provocateurs to artificially create an opposition. Like what? Like we work for some organisation. <laughs> you, you actually think we're employed to deliver this. It says, the majority is too stupid any given time to be of any legitimate concern to the elite, whoever they may be. I beg to differ there, because <laughs> you're just calling us all stupid, where I'd say we're not. In fact, I'd like to say, majority of our listeners, we don't think you're stupid. We think you're great. We love you. Yeah, and then he's put, take this boring data for an example. Nothing new added to the books, which predictably these airheads and potheads have not read. Airheads and potheads. How did he know? I know. <laughs> Pothead, fair enough. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. I reject airhead. Yeah, that is a sole attack on me and my sovereignty as a human. Oh, what? You were the airhead, I was the pothead. Which one's which? Are we both both? Or? Yeah. Could he break that down a bit more? you enjoyed that episode of the schism we've got plenty more episodes on the way in the meantime follow us on our instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies